Welcome to the Pursuit of Wellbeing podcast. My name's Maria Brosnan. I'm the founder of Pursuit and your host for the show. This podcast is dedicated to providing wellbeing information, inspiration, and support for teachers, leaders, and school staff around the world. My guest today is Kelly Hannigan. Kelly is a mental health and wellbeing consultant with the Education People and through her business, Mindwork Matters. She has over 20 years' experience of working within educational settings. Kelly is an active blogger and writer on wellbeing and mental health and has received many awards and acknowledgements for her work in embedding whole school wellbeing approaches. Her work has been recognised by the Department of Education and many other organisations and charities. She's a national speaker and trainer of mental health in education and has developed sustainable and outstanding outcomes for people in education. Kelly, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for inviting me into this space with you. I'm, I'm absolutely delighted to be here today with you, Maria. Yeah, it's great to have you, I should say. We're, we're, we're dear friends outside of education work as well, so it's lovely to be talking with you today. I think the first place that we could start by talking is about whole school approaches for positive mental health and well-being. Kelly, can you talk to us about your thinking about that? How would people even start to think about that? I think um, there's never been more of an important time to think about whole school approaches for mental health and well-being. And when I talk about whole school approaches, I'm talking about any educational setting that supports a learning space for children and young people. So we're thinking about our early year settings primary schools, secondary schools and colleges as well. Um, And I think the starting point is to start from where people are or start from where organisations are. And when I'm consulting within educational settings, I often ask them what they want to achieve from my time with them. And I think it's important to celebrate what's been going well within settings because so often we're looking for those solutions for problems and we can sometimes oversee um, all the positive aspects of of implementations of well-being that's already happening within schools. If we we think about before the pandemic, there was already some great stuff going on um, within schools and colleges and settings. Um, And I think it's going back and revisiting them strategies and layering them up. Um, And the starting point always is collecting stakeholder voices And when I talk about stakeholders, I'm talking about everyone in a school or college or early years setting community. So that's the staff, the pupils, the parents, and sometimes even bringing in the opinions of the wider community can be really helpful or agencies that you may be working closely with, such as social care um, and CAMS. So that collective voice helps drive that strategy for purposeful approaches for mental health and wellbeing within education. I love the idea of acknowledging what's going well because so often, as you say, we we get kind of caught up and we're so busy and, and we can forget the things that are going well. I really love that approach to to acknowledge that. And when you talk about bringing other stakeholder voices into it, what do you expect to see by that? What do you hope to learn from that or, or gain from that? I think um, the key message here is not to expect anything or to expect the unexpected. (laughs) Um, So not to have an opinion um, that drives your strategy before you look at those stakeholder voices and to think about once you collect that data, that information from people's personal experiences, both 
with in a professional capacity for staff, a relationship capacity for parents and for pupils, and then that learning experience and how all of that embeds together. And I think the most important thing to remember is to feed back that information with actions for change. So I really don't believe in collecting data and administering evaluations for mental health and wellbeing if you're just going to sit on that data. Mm-hmm. It's important to, to feed back to your stakeholders, to the people in your school, college or early year setting community with actions, um, share strategies and then go back and revisit them plans and evaluate the impact that them steps to success may be having um, on your school, college or early year setting community. And can you give us some ideas then? So people have gathered this information, they've spoken to all of the, the stakeholders related to their school or setting. What kind of advice would you be giving people, presumably leaders in the schools, what would you be advising them or what would these strategies look like? I think the strategies are, again, looking at what's already on offer, what's that irresistible offer or invitation for well-being and mental health within schools. Um, So I would recommend school leaders to start with a SWOT analysis, looking at the strengths, weaknesses and opportunities and threats. And under that opportunity character uh, um, area, excuse me, would be to think about, okay, what are parents currently needing in the sense of knowledge, learning around mental health and well-being? So thinking about how can we support parents? So looking at what their um, availability is. So if you was to put a workshop out there, when would be the best time for parents to be able to engage with that? And also looking at hot topics of interest around learning about mental health and well-being. And I know something that's really important at the moment that's coming up is financial well-being. We can only um, estimate the impact, the negative impact that the pandemic has had on people's financial well-being and I'm speaking to lots of school leaders who are telling me that those vulnerable pupils who are experiencing deprivation and those families who currently find themselves in that space of depleting financial well-being they've had a sudden change to their circumstance so it may be that parents have been furloughed for for long periods of time and only earning 80% of their salaries it could be that parents who have recently started up new businesses if they haven't got a year's worth of accounts they're not going to be able to connect with some support around financial benefits and then thinking about the uncertainty around the security of jobs and this will have a profound negative effect on those families and that will also drip drip feed into the well-being of their children as well. And what what can schools do about that? You know, if if you're a busy head trying to keep your head above water, keeping all of the, the plates spinning that you've got all of the enormous responsibilities in school what would you what could a head do or senior leadership team in a school do to support those families that are that are struggling financially perhaps for the first time I think inviting in that collaborative approach through community spirit and so bringing in that partnership of work through possible fundraising within school communities so what that might possibly look like and I'm hearing of lots of schools who are doing this currently is they're creating their own well-being hub um, which really responds to the needs within the community so for example if schools are having non-uniform days instead of 
pupils donating a pound for them days. It may be that they bring in um, some non-perishable food items, unwanted gifts, school uniform. And then what happens is, is them school communities start to build up a, a bank resource to be able to donate to families who are experiencing financial deprivation. I love that. I mean, obviously, it's devastating for people to to be experiencing that but I think that's where the whole school community comes into its own isn't it when because some people are, are probably fine or you know they're 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 not in that situation so to be able to reach out and help other people other families within the school is what schools do best isn't it yeah and it's thinking about those silent sufferers if we think about the way that we communicate in schools now that looks very different schools are following the guidelines and then guidelines are constantly changing so if if we think about those lost moments of opportunity meeting parents at the school gate there's now a social distancing process so you may not be having them conversations with families where they may be disclosing that they're experiencing vulnerabilities like we would have done before the pandemic. And then also those opportunities for parents to come into the school, to meet with pastoral leaders, to meet with SENCOs, to speak with class teachers. Those experiences look very differently now. And I know that schools are doing a tremendous job in um, ensuring that those communication channels are open in a creative way, thinking about that variety of, of communication and looking at their communication strategies. But I still believe that that face-to-face contact offers those moments, those opportunities for parents to courageously share their vulnerabilities. Mm-hmm. And it's them moments, that information that you take back and then you can action that and start to build those trusting relationships where parents feel like they have that, that social um, scaffolding to be able to support them in their time of crisis. Mm-hmm. And for many parents that I've spoke to um, in my career, they often say they get caught up in shame and guilt and they don't want to ask for help, especially for parents who are finding themselves in a new situation that they've never experienced before. So for some parents, they may be experiencing symptoms of anxiety And we know that the pandemic and any traumatic event can lift the lids off past unresolved issues. And my worry is, is how many families, how many parents are struggling silently at the moment and how do we reach them? And how do we reach them? What are are some strategies that you've seen that you've you've perhaps um, in your consultancy work with schools that you've developed together? What kind of plans or strategies have have you seen that are working that are reaching those vulnerable families as you describe? I think the first um, key strategy here is to identify them families Mm. and that could take some time. I think there's a responsibility for pastoral teams to, to reach out to families and I know that many schools are doing this already so they're making regular phone calls home They're ensuring that within the classroom, there's a regular check-in space for pupils to explore any needs that they may have. Um, And I think that you can still offer support online. So offering workshops or a collective space, a safe space, an empowerment group. And and I'd like to talk about that a little bit later on Mm. in building empowerment groups and the impact that they can have on school communities. But that can still be delivered online 
Um, but I think it's opening up them communication channels and just exploring with parents and, and constantly finding creative ways to advertise what you're doing. So utilising social media platforms to constantly remind parents that you're there to support them. Um, and if you if they can't find the support within your school community, simply setting up a resource directory. And this is something I've worked on recently. And it's a one-stop shop. It's a digital directory of all the support services locally and nationally. And that's a project that I've been working on within Kent, but any borough or any, any school or community could do that. And then just being able to embed links. So if parents were struggling, they would know where the local food banks are in holiday periods of time away from school. If they were experiencing, for example, domestic abuse, they would know where to go to access help for that. But having a directory where everything is in one place is definitely a, a safer, more most proactive way to be able to help parents find the resources both within them, but also seeking outside of them, having that sense of agency. I love that idea of having that information all in one place. And, and as you say, you know, getting past helping people get past the shame and guilt of, of what they're experiencing. And so often that's completely unjustified, but that doesn't make it any easier for people to deal with. And to have that directory is just such a practical step for people to be able to access that information. That's great. Kelly, you mentioned empowerment groups in there. Tell, tell us a bit more about what you mean by those. I have a real passion for empowering people. I don't believe well-being should be spoon-fed. That disempowers people. Mm. Um, so a lot of work that I've done has been to create empowerment groups for parents. I don't call them parenting groups because I think we all try our best as parents. We, you know, we so often we can only bring to the table in the sense of our parenting capacity experiences of being a product of our own environment mm. so what I like to work with parents on is giving them the opportunity to create change so I offer an open welcome space uh, within schools and I'm I've got a project coming up where I'm running a trainer trainer approach to help schools and colleges develop these processes um, and then offering them all the resources and a collective network to come together to support that piece of work but I've seen firsthand how when those empowerment groups are offered in a safe manner, where you offer a safe container, there's a working agreement before you start. And then offering that irresistible invitation for learning for parents to understand the triggers for depleting mental health, but also giving them the resources to be able to recognise, reflect and respond appropriately. So building up that shared language approach. And this has a, a positive impact on school communities because what happens is, is that there's that consistency of language both in the home setting and within the school setting. Um, and that marries up uh, to develop a, a school that has, has families that thrive and flourish in adversity. Wow. Extending the idea of empowerment groups, could you could you do that across, say, staff that, you know, so many staff now are obviously not able to meet regularly as they would in the staff room. And as you say, those those moments that that we're missing with families also missing from each other and those those uh, catch up, those quick kind of moments of catching up. Could you extend that or could you develop those kind of empowerment groups across staff? 
Yes, definitely. It's something else that I'm working on at the moment. I'm concentrating on school leaders, SLT, um, and those middle leaders as well, because I think they have intense pressure on them at the moment. Mm. So I understand there's only one of me and I need to spread <laughs> myself very widely. Um, so I'm working on some really fantastic projects at the moment and they're train the trainer projects and peer coaching. Um, because what I want to do is I want to give all of my skills um, to schools for them to be able to go on and teach them skills to others. Mm. So then it has that wider ripple effect. Um, and I'm really excited to be delivering these programs. As I said, one will be around parent engagement and it will yeah. be offering all the skills and tools and resources to build purposeful empowerment groups um, within school communities. And these can both be delivered online and face-to-face when we get back to some sense of normality. Uh, within education but also to empower staff to recognize what their own needs are especially school leaders Mm. so often they don't like to share that vulnerability because they're always constantly focusing on serving a diet and learning and and well-being to everybody within their school communities and so often they're running on empty Mm. and I think they deserve a space to a safe space to reflect and and this will be a project that will have national capacity so if school leaders don't feel comfortable um, coaching or sharing a space with with other school leaders within their local areas. Um, I'm looking to do that cross-national peer coaching process. And and I think this will definitely have a profound effect on the well-being um, of our school leaders currently. I love that. Um, And we'll put all of the links uh, at the end of this in, in the show notes to this podcast so so people can connect connect with you, Kelly. And I want to pick up something there about school leaders and running on empty at the moment because we're recording this at the very end of December 2020 and one of the common themes throughout this podcast has been around how do you take care of yourself when you're absolutely running at capacity, when you just don't have time to do all of the things that you have to do to get your work done, let alone take care of yourself. What would you say to school leaders that are in that position, or not even leaders, like anybody in school that's listening to this, that feels like they just don't have the time, it's usually the number one reason they don't have time to take care of themselves. What would you say to people listening that would think that? The first thing I would say is just stop and pause. I can't, I can't, I'm too busy, I can't do that. I know, I know. (laughs) what is look at the risks if you don't so the risks if you don't take a moment to reflect on your own self-care processes those protective factors that will keep you well and doing the incredible jobs that you're doing I think it's a case that you have to rather than you could do Mm -hmm. um so just having a moment to think about map out we're, we're now at the end of 2020 so let's think about 2021 And I'd like to reflect this question. What would those people's families and friends say how they've experienced um, you experiencing this time in the pandemic? How has it affected your well-being and your mental health? So start with the loved ones and ask them what they've noticed. And that can be really insightful. and, And that can be a space to help us stop and pause and reflect and think about how do we create that work life balance? We're human beings, not human doings. And that's what I often tell um, people that I work with. But so often we put such high expectations on ourselves that we would never even dream of putting on anyone else. 
And we have to check in with ourselves. Where is the pressure coming from? Is it coming from the systems and the processes or is it coming from ourselves? Uh, we only have to link with the understanding around imposter syndrome. And I think that affects many educators. And I think it's having an honest conversation with yourself and actually speaking out, finding someone that you feel safe and comfortable with to navigate your current stresses and challenges. And then thinking about on a timeline over the next year, what things do you need to secure? What are those daily, weekly, monthly habits that you can actually put in your diary right now for next year that will keep you doing your job safe and well? And hopefully will keep you happy as well. Yeah, yeah. And I just want to pick up on a term that you use there, Kelly, for people who might not know it. But what do you mean by the imposter syndrome? The imposter syndrome, many, many um, incredible, successful people suffer from imposter syndrome. And that's that intrusive thought that we have within ourselves. Um, and I can relate to this because I certainly suffer with imposter syndrome. <laughs> and it's that moment of thinking, I'm not quite good enough. Someone's going to find out and they're going to realise I shouldn't be doing this job. And <laughs> um, it's those intrusive thoughts. And I have a, a bossy intruder within my mind and he's called Bob. I've given him a name. <laughs> <laughs> Naming it to tame it. I really do believe that. Uh, Dr. Professor Daniel Siegel always says that noting can be really helpful for I our agree. well-being. Yeah. And this is, again, the work that I'm sharing with parents. And it's they have light bulb moments. They're like, wow, I didn't realise there was something that was connected to that voice within me that always was telling me I'm rubbish, I'm not good enough, and it made me feel guilty and bossed me around. And I call it a bully. But sometimes that internal voice is trying to keep us safe. So it's that reactive part of our brain, that amygdala, that tells us and alerts us to stress um, and danger. Um, but so often that internal voice can mislead us. And it, that's when we go into that overproductivity of thinking that we need to work harder to prove ourselves. And what I tell myself every day is that I'm good enough. And the message that I'd like to take uh, the listeners to take away from today is that know that you are good enough, that you are doing the best that you possibly can. You have got through the last 10 months in education and you have managed all the constant changes. There'll be a plethora of feelings that come along with that. There may be anger, frustration, moments of happiness and joy, satisfaction. But whatever you're feeling, know that you've got through and you can take this experience of built up resilience that you've gained into 2021 and, and you can you can spread that magical stuff everywhere within your school communities but the message I want you to take away as well is be the role model so when you're if you are a school leader listening to this or if you are a parent be the role model for the people who look up to you if they see you looking after your well-being and being open and honest and being courageously vulnerable at times they're going to learn from that and they know they know what to do to build in their well-being prescriptions and their processes of self-care but they also know that you don't have to wear your painted face all the time you can take the mask off and just be yourself and be comfortable with that space I love that take the mask off yeah, we're all vulnerable, especially now. And I think this, this, the pressure that we're all kind of living through at the moment is almost giving us permission to do that too. I, I've spoken to friends and had conversations that have been much more vulnerable than probably I ever have saying, God, I'm struggling right now and, and reaching out for help or just talking about what's going on. And I think 
the more we can do that and and you know just connect with other people that because we're all going through it we're you know what's the expression Vanessa McCarty one of my other guests it's a psychotherapist and she said we're all on the same sea but different boats um so how do we how do we support ourselves and then by extension support each other but not necessarily we've got to start with ourselves yeah we have we have all the resources within us but sometimes our mind is so clouded through all of the pressures outside of ourselves so if we think about social media and the news we're constantly being bombarded um with fearful news and that's having a profound effect on families communities um and so on and i think sometimes we just have to stay grounded and check in with ourselves what is the real risks that we're currently facing and what can we control in an uncontrollable situation so instead of focusing on the negative it's possibly celebrating the small wins so thinking about over the last 10 months what celebrations do you want to take forward into 2021 as a parent those parents out there that have home educated their children and managed as well those of you who've managed to hold down jobs in that space you deserve a huge round of applause and i commend you for all that you have done through these times i also commend the the brave key worker teachers the educators who've shown up every day no matter what fear they've been carrying and they've gone into school and they've supported the best they can their school communities they've built up that sense of collective collaboration in partnership with parents and i think what we need to be talking about is all of the good things that have happened in this year and that shifts our energy it vibrates us on a different energy level um so i really do want to thank everyone but i want you to thank yourself and be kind to yourself and and kindness is contagious so when you share that stuff it it spreads it everywhere yeah yeah definitely um Kelly I want to ask you about your therapeutic and holistic work in education. I know you've covered quite a lot of that now but is there anything else you'd like to add especially as it relates to staff and leaders in schools? I think any any basis the basis of and the foundations of any therapeutic work is is relationships. Mm-hmm. It's building positive trusting relationships with other human beings. and therapeutic work touches all ages and all stages. So my therapeutic work has enabled me to connect with pupils of all ages. It's enabled me to connect with staff. So offering supervision within schools and I'm currently working with a school at the moment and working with well-being leads and helping them develop their plans and and offering them a space to offload because what we're hearing is lots of safeguarding leads so say safeguarding leads and designated mental health leads are carrying the burden and the worry and the stress of the vulnerabilities of in their school communities and they need somewhere to unpick all of that to unravel it and to anchor down so i offer them a space to reflect and give them lots of tools and tips to practice self care but also give them a space to reflect on the work um that they're currently doing within their settings um i work systemically within families and some of the outcomes that have been created from that space and it's it's not what i've done it's what the clients have done i've offered them a safe container to explore their internal worlds um and they've been able to resolve their issues by working through those issues not always using language but using mediums or using sound using art creativity 
um, narrative to think about how they can process what may have happened to them. And that in turn builds positive relationships. I've worked with many parents and their children and, and help them connect with each other again um, to sift through all of the chaos. But I think the most important message here is that holistic support can really help validate purposeful relationships. So having them skills um, within your school settings, and that again is something that I offer training for, um, can be really helpful in building up those meaningful interventions um, for, for pupils, for families and for staff to access. Lovely. Thank you, Kelly. Um, is there anything else as we're coming to the end of the podcast? Is there anything else you'd like to, uh, any message you'd like to share with with our listeners before we we wrap up? I think I'd just like to share um, and offer an invitation to connect with me at any time. You can find me on Twitter at Mindwork Matters. You can also hear about my work with the education people as a mental health and wellbeing consultant. Uh, by visiting the website and, a, and I've just recently um, collaboratively designed um, a mental health and wellbeing area where there's lots of blogs, there's regular newsletters, free resources, one being my wellbeing buddies resource and this was a gift to me, something that I created um, with some time that I had in the first lockdown. So please connect with me via that page and that's www.theeducationpeople.org um, and please feel free to send me an email if you have a question. I am an act of service and I, I just want to help you make the difference. It's not my work, it's your work, but I just want to give you the tools to be able to do that. And again, to thank you. Thank you for showing up and thank you for all that you've done to support the development and learning of our future generation because they're really what matters at the, in these times. Exactly, exactly. And Kelly, you have an event coming up. Uh, the Leading Mental Health in Schools virtual conference with the education people on the 3rd of February. So we'll put links to all of these in the show notes. And Kelly, thank you so much for joining us. What a wonderful podcast and what a wonderful uh, load of tools and ideas you've shared. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you. It's, it's been a real pleasure to be able to share my work and, and please do connect with me if you have any questions or if you want to find out more about the peer-to-peer -peer support uh, around coaching for school leaders and, and also to explore some opportunities around the trainer-trainer approach to build um, empowerment family engagement groups within schools and settings. Kelly, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. Thanks, Maria. Take care. Thanks so much for listening. Now check out our website, pursuitwellbeing.com. If you enjoyed the podcast, please hit the subscribe button in your podcast app. And if you feel inspired, please rate and review it and share it with your friends. I love getting your feedback and learning how we can improve our program.